Hi, this is Dr. Ann Bird, and I welcome you to the Ms. Chiefs podcast. We really hope you like what you hear today, and that if you do, you'll both give us an authentic review and subscribe. We can't wait to hear from you at MsChiefs.com, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, Jen, this is episode two of Ms. Chiefs. We're crushing it. We are crushing it. <laughs> um, today, the topic is only the lonely. I'm sorry. It's not that. It's lonely <laughs> the only. Um, because the idea is this. Uh, you know, it's a pretty isolating situation to be the only woman in the room, the only non-attorney in the room, the only female board member Um, in my case now, you know, the only person who's pushing 60 or the only person who's dialed in remote because your kid's sick. I mean, everybody's dialed in remote now because of COVID, but historically, if you couldn't physically be in a place that everybody else was. Um, so that's the topic I want to address, um, what it feels like to be the only X, Y, Z, you know, insert whatever your situation is in the room. Um, And then to really talk about how we can make that work for us and how we can make that sort of matter less. Uh, Because the thing I'll submit is that the only cure to that is us. We are the source of our own problem and we are the source of our own solution. And we got to get our head on right to show up in that room. That's right. And, and show up anywhere, really, because I think there's a flip side of this as well that uh, we beat ourselves up about is, you know, the only executive mom, the mom that's running 700 miles an hour and gets to the baseball field in their suit or what have you and their phone on their ear and getting pinged 10,000 times while you're at the baseball game and feeling incredibly inadequate in that space as well. So, you know, we have a lot of this going on of being the only um, in the room, in, in yeah, wherever. Yeah, on both sides, the personal mm-hmm. side as well as the professional side. Yeah, I totally get it. All right. So tell me about the worst time. Do you remember the worst time when you were the only whatever in the room? No, because I think there's too many times. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think also what happens here, or what has happened for me in my personal uh, life and, and professional uh, examples is that over and over I think it builds, right? So the more you're in the room and the more you feel diminished and the more you feel isolated, um, you start telling yourself the story of of not being enough. And so I think that's a that is exactly where I start with this example is over time you kind of get beat down. So when you're in the room, it feels even more isolating um, and you don't actually want to go in the room. Uh, even though you know your presence there is helping the organization, uh, is helping the people that work for you, um, and that you have a voice and you have information that needs to be heard, but oftentimes um, don't feel like you're being heard. So I can give an example um, that I often found myself in is, you know, I would go through whatever presentation I had to go through or whichever whatever data I needed to present and um, or whatever input I was giving. And I was physically heard, but I often felt like 
I wasn't heard, right? So the 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 uh, typical response of everybody looking at you, listening to you, and then moving on to their topic or their it, feeling very much diminished and very much not heard. Well, it was so the thing that you're feeling wasn't a thing anybody else did to you. No, nope, right? right. It was a thing. It was the voice in your head, right? Saying that was a, what was the voice in your head saying? They're not listening. They don't care. What you have to say doesn't matter. Were they listening? They were listening. <laughs> Did they care? I don't know. Yeah. And and at the end of the day, I'm not sure it matters, yeah. right? And I think that's where we have to get. But I think that's what isolation and what feeling lonely and being the only in the room, that's what it does to you. It creates these stories in your head um, that are real or not real. Uh, they actually are real because they're there and you're living them and that's the feeling you get. But, um, you know, that's So how do you get reality. on top of it? What, when, can you, what was the time that you were the most awesome in the room? Do you remember the time you were the most awesome? You know, I think one of the, one of the times I was the most awesome is when I didn't care if they were listening. Um, and I was going to make my uncomfortable points that nobody wanted to really hear, um, and they could take it or leave it, but I was going to get it out. I, I think my best moments is when I put my self-doubt on the back burner um, because the reason and the cause was so big. I think that's when I'm my greatest, is when um, I don't get inside my head and I get into the moment about what I'm there to achieve and I, you know, I go full bore and I don't really care if anybody's listening. When the purpose is so much bigger than the circumstances that's right. that you don't care anymore. That's right. Well, tell us the story. Paint the picture. What, what, what situation are you thinking of? Uh, you know, budget conversations are always difficult. I think that this particular role, I was the CHRO, so you're mostly talking about human capital and the funds and increases and raises and in this particular organization um, you know there's not a whole lot of appetite for uh, increases for the people that are doing the behind the scenes work. So you're now talking about a law firm you're the CHRO at a law firm and the people whose pay you're interested in increasing is not the lawyers in this discussion right? Correct. Who, who is in your budget? Uh, everybody really at this point, um, uh, I guess at this point, really what I'm talking about is CHRO and CAO. So I had a vast majority of the supporting services, uh, organization, uh, you know, up 300 plus people. Listen, what, what kind of jobs? Do you uh, have? we had legal assistants, paralegals. We had, a, you know, accounting personnel, marketing personnel, IT, everybody in this, the HR suite, uh, really nuts and bolts, you know, the whole operation or what, you know, back-end services, as uh, some people would call them, supporting the attorney production. Yeah. And they didn't want to hear what you had to say because... Well, I think they wanted to hear what I had to say, but they didn't want to hear what I was saying, right? They, they We were there for that conversation. I think they had an agenda in the room to come out of their... Um, not spending much or not having to increase that budget much. And, you know, you go into those rooms, guns loaded, trying to give all the right reasons as to why these people are deserving 
Um, and this is where it gets isolating. I'm sorry, I'm going to kind of backtrack here. This is where I think an important distinction needs to be made. I think women in general uh, can feel some of the pressures in the workforce generally. But when you're the executive and you're a female and you're talking about human capital in an otherwise um, very hardline business driving conversation, uh, you know, you have to take on a different role for everybody else. And that's where the isolation comes in, right? Like everything's hard. But when you're the only spokesperson that has all these people's lives on the line, it's it's a different isolating. It's a different kind of stress. Um, yeah, because what happens if you fail? Right, then they all fail, right? And then that too is isolating because it looks like to all of your people that you're representing that you failed, right? So you're you're failing on multiple levels in your in, in what you think you've done. Um, and so those conversations are hard. So you go in with the data, and I think one of the f- most frustrating things that. Um, you know, happens. And I think this is definitely because you're the female in the room, because I've seen it um, happen time and time again is, well, you're too soft, right? You're too soft. You want to give all these people money. We have a hard line to make. And the funny thing is, is I am probably one of the most fiscally responsible in business my husband would not say that <laughs> personally. Um, fiscally responsible per- people um, I know in business. I don't go ask for dollars that I know aren't there. I, I'm not unrealistic. What I do is I come in with a very concise plan to get the most I possibly can um, for the people that deserve it the most, right? And, and that's hard. Those are hard decisions, but you have to play the game. Um, And so I think that's what's frustrating is when you go in and you know the numbers and you know what people deserve um, and you get this sort of flippant dismission of, uh, you know, well, you just you're too soft. You don't know how to say no. Uh, We can't afford it this year. Um, And trying to make the point that you can't afford not to. Right. Right. And then you've got to leave the room with whatever you got and be a member of the executive team be bought into the decisions that were made and communicate in a an enthusiastic and uh, positive way a decision you may or may not agree with that's right spin it yeah the the uh the this spin story um one of my favorites yeah you have to go back and you have to look at all these people and you have to try and rightfully so uh explain to people the business circumstances that are prohibiting you from giving them what they want and quite honestly deserve in a lot of cases and trying to get them now to buy in uh, to, you know, the decision making that not necessarily was yours, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because as a consultant, I've gone into a number of organizations and Um, You know, you get hired because uh, something's not working, right? You get hired because we want to quote unquote fix something. Right. And we want you to come in and tell us how to fix it and then fix it. Uh, But what's what I find frequently the case is that once you you don't really want to do what you have to do to fix it. Right. Right. And I've come in now and said, okay, your baby's ugly. That's right. You know, this is the type of thing we're going to have to do to fix it. 
And man, are they mad at you, right? They're first super pissed off that you told them their baby was ugly because they didn't really want to hear the news, you know, the detail of the, you know, of the news. Um, but they really don't want to do what they have to do to solve the problem. You know, they don't want to spend the money. They don't want to invest the time. Um, you know, uh, they don't want to pay other people to do it. And so what they're instead, you know, going to choose to do is, is live with the problem. You know, we'll just continue. We, we haven't died so far. We'll continue to live with the problem. Or we'll fix it internally. Yeah. <laughs> personal favorite. Right. Which, which really spins then back to that same person in the room yeah. um, because uh, internally, so externally, you're going to say face to the consultant because now they know your dirty laundry. Internally, you go back in that boardroom and there's all sorts of blame. Well, how did we get this way? Why is it so bad? And if you're, you know, the CAO or COO, uh, it's all going to fall on you. And then once again, you're in that position of trying to justify, you know, blah, blah, blah. But you're oftentimes given the hand that you're dealt. And, you know, you can go into a room and talk 20 reasons why you're at that place because you've been talking to them, <laughs> telling them that you're going to be in that place uh, for years. Uh, but, you know, sometimes it's uh, better heard from somebody else. Well, I want to flip the conversation a little bit and talk about what it's like to be the only in your life, mm -hmm. right? In your friend group, in your family. Um, I know for me, I'm the first college grad on, you know, in my family, my son is the second. Um, I'm certainly the only PhD that, you know, I mean, my family's never met another. Right. They don't have any earthly idea what that means. My parents, you know, who, um, as you know, live with me, couldn't for money tell you what I do for a job. You know, they, they just think people send me money for, you know, knowing the answers to stuff, which is, which is fine. That's true. True <laughs> enough. But I, but it's also really, I think, important to understand how isolating it can be to be the only executive female in your friend group, right? To have people not understand what it means to be a working executive, right? To be in the room at the table, mm -hmm. you know, I call it behind the curtain, right? Like where the decisions get made. Um, and to kind of, in many cases, make more money than your friends and, you know, have a different kind of qualitatively different job um, than the people that are are in your world. Um, tell me how, tell me how that's been, Jen. Yeah, great. You know, and this is this is a touchy subject a little bit because in your friend group, um, you know, something I don't ever try and discuss is my life versus yours. Uh, I try and stay away from that on numerous levels because everybody's life is difficult and everybody's worst day is their worst day. But that's where some of this isolation comes in, right? You feel alone because you can't say something because you certainly don't want people to think that you think you're better than them or that you have a worse situation than them. But it is different. Uh, you know, m most of my friends are working females. Um, and this conversation is even hard for me to have right now because I don't want anybody to perceive that I'm saying that what they do and what they have to deal with is less. It's just different. Uh, being behind the curtain um, can be ugly. It can be um, 
unbelievably stressful. And and when I say unbelievably stressful, look, I've been um, in roles that weren't behind the curtain and they were tough and they were hard, but it's different um, being the one that has to solely make a decision when you're, like you said, speaking for so many people and not just in an advocating way, right? A lot of supervisor manager roles, you advocate for other people, but when you are the buck stops with you behind the curtain, knowing yourself that your decisions and the your ability is going to affect so many other people is different than advocating. And it's those those steps and those differences that make it make you feel alone because again, you have to be careful on how you um, talk about those things to people because again, you, nobody wants to be feel diminished by you and I certainly don't want to feel anybody diminished and that's not what this is about. It's just about the difference and I don't have, other than you, um, any executive females that are close friends um, that would truly get what that means. Know what it's like to sit in the room and say, I made the decision today to lay off X number of people, you know, all of whom are great at their jobs and don't deserve to lose their jobs. Um, But uh, at the end of the day, I had to decide and a week from Friday, I'm going to have to tell them that they don't work here anymore. Right. You know, and I have to know, it gives me chills thinking about (sighs) it. Right. I mean, I've laid off I've had I've been involved in three rounds of layoffs in the past 10 months and unless you've been there you don't know what that's like no. you know and and you know I I hear and agree with your point that everybody's job is unbelievably difficult in its own way and you know I don't work in healthcare for example so I don't know what it's like to lose a patient oh, God. I can't even imagine no. the terror or horror of that or how you ever get used to it you know, um, and I don't work in sales on a general basis, so I don't know what it's like to lose a major client. You know, everything is hard in its own way. Um, but I do know what it's like to pick up the phone and call somebody whose spouse is eight months pregnant and tell them that, you know, their last job is today and they're going to get two weeks of paid severance and benefits through the end of the month. Um, and I know what it's like to make call after call after call. And I know you do too. Yeah. You know, and, and how, how many times we sat in the room. Do you remember how many minutes the goal was for the termination conversation to get somebody in and out? Of yeah. The like less than two. Yeah. Um, which is just inhumane. Uh, but you want to get out before everybody realizes what's happening. And that's the, that is the ugly truth of that conversation. Um, yeah, and and look in my in several roles that I've had that weren't let's say executive or behind the curtain, I had to have those conversations. I feel like this is like the bane of my whole career has been having to lay off people um, far more than I can ever even quantify. Uh, but there again is a difference in making that decision. Right. So I suggested I gave my two cents on, you know, who was doing the most work. I've, I've done all that. But when that piece of paper is in front of you and you have to put and bird down, it is different than a suggestion or information. And it is also different than maybe even being the one that has to have the conversation. Right. That's ugly and horrible, too. And that's sometimes even harder when you didn't make the decision. Uh, but making that decision is um, life-changing, and it is hard. And the 
back to our point earlier, you have to do that with this perceived confidence when you're telling people because that's the whole point, right? We're doing the right thing for the organization. And I'm not saying we aren't, but, um, you know, I've always struggled with the human aspect of, of corporate America. I, um, I think it's lacking and uh, you have to make hard decisions and I've done them, but Never, it's hard. Never feeling good about it still. Right. And so back to your point of friends and, and in your home, my parents too, you know, my dad had a very professional career. My mom was um, a stay-at-home mom, was, which we called him then, um, working very hard, as I know now, having my own kids. Um, and so my dad understands um, corporate levels and corporate responsibility, but I think... He has a subconscious view um, about me in those roles because I'm his daughter. And I think some of that is because he can't bear to think that I have to go through that, right? He can't bear to think that I'm in those rooms that can get really insidiously ugly. Um, But that's frustrating to me because I want him to see my strength. So you have that. Um, You know, I have kids i have you know two boys one with special needs that he certainly doesn't get it and certainly doesn't care that i'm on a conference call um you know i have a husband that works very very hard and um doesn't have a normal schedule because he's you know works with families in need um and so that's difficult because you know he has a certain expectation of me being able to help with our boys and take that role on. And because I've always done it, it just gets done. Um, and so that's isolating because you're like, my lord, I am the only one out here pounding twenty different pieces of pavement and trying to get it all done. And I don't want to bitch. I don't want to complain. Um, you put your head down and you do it, but it's lonely and it's stressful. Yeah. Well, and then it's also, you know, Friday night and you have to cook dinner and, you know, then it's the weekend and you've got to go to the swim meet or, you know, yeah. whatever. And I was, I was a single mom, um, you know, of one child. And I, I now see it, you know, my son's a grown man now and he has his own very successful career. Uh, but I can literally see it come back to me, Right. Mom, I'm going to be late for dinner because I'm on this conference call for work. Or, you know, he's he's got his own very real work frustrations. And at least he knows I understand them. But I literally hear myself come back to me through my kid in how, in how he's prioritizing and, you know, making these uh, professional decisions. And it, you know, I'll come back to COVID again for a minute because... At least you kind of used to come home at the end of the day, right? Like you used to have a drive home where you could sort of decompress. Uh, And I love my home office, but let me just say the five (laughs) feet I have to walk from from here to my bedroom ain't far enough to shake the shame or the (laughs) crap of whatever kind of came on me in that day, right? Right. And and, uh, it's hard to then kind of walk downstairs and put on a happy face and ask my parents what they want for dinner and, you know, how they're feeling and how they're doing when they don't have any idea what I do up there all day. Yeah. Um, but that's the, you know, that's my, that's my life. Right. And I made those choices and I choose to be happy in it. And I can also choose to be miserable, right. How I feel about it, how I respond to it is completely my choice. Um, 
And most days it's fine. Uh, uh, it's the really shitty days when you need when some I place need to a, go. Phone a friend. That is right. That is right. And that's that's mischiefs, right? That's the whole purpose of this is to, if for nothing else, share these conversations and and share these stories in this format so that you can listen and you can say, oh my gosh, exactly. I feel the exact same way, or I had this, and I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. I'm not crazy for feeling this way, which I think isolation does to you is makes you feel like you're the only one that feels this way, and then it feels even worse. And so if nothing else, I hope these conversations you know, shed light and give people understanding and hope that they aren't alone. Um, and, you know, hopefully also here at Miss Chiefs, outside of this, as a member, you can get some of these answers and we can go deeper into now what and how do we fix this for ourselves, if not, if nothing else, then how we perceive them and how we can mentally prepare ourselves for what we know is going to be a difficult day in a boardroom. Yep, I agree. All right. Well, that's it for today. Uh, We hope you'll come back for uh, episode three. And as I sit here reflecting on the plan for episode three, I was hoping it was going to be much more uplifting and happy. But the current plan is to talk about our lack of self, our lack of self-confidence and imposter syndrome. So whoop, whoop. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to put all the heavy stuff up front and then we're going to get really light and fun. I don't know. Maybe not on the back end. Yeah. All right. Exactly. So join us back here and get more content at mischiefs.com. And as always, share the love. <laughs>